The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I might have mentioned a couple of weeks ago that our entire family had COVID Christmas week. And so there are four of us, me and my wife and our two daughters, and we think maybe um, that one of our girls picked it up from school and she got sick first, and then I got sick. When she was sick, she quarantined upstairs in her room, and I didn't try to catch COVID. I don't think that's a really good idea. I know that some people are trying to do that. Um, But it did occur to me, because it was Christmas week, and we were all home and all out of school, that if it's gonna run through that family, like if we're gonna all get it, it would be best to all have it at the same time. Because that way, we could at least do stuff as a family, not just like one or two of us having to stay away. And like, I'm really glad that it happened that way because some of my friends that I, that I know around the country, their families also had COVID during Christmas week and they opened gifts like on Zoom from one room to the next when some people had it and other people didn't. And so that was back when they were saying when you had COVID, you needed to quarantine for 10 days and they've kind of reduced it to five because they know that we completely lack discipline. So they just said five days. But that was during when they said 10. And and here's the thing, all of us in our family had different symptoms. Like it wasn't uniform. There was some stuff that was the same. I think fatigue was the same, but other symptoms, some had and some didn't. The intensity was different between some of us. But none of us felt truly awful. Like I did stuff every day. I worked out every day except one. I walked the dog. Like we did all of these things that we normally would do. But we couldn't leave the house. And I just felt so stuck. And some of you will remember this from the early days of COVID when they told us it was gonna be two weeks and you were like, the introverts were like, yeah, this is awesome. And the extroverts were like, this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen. Like some of you couldn't make it two days before you had just had to bust out. And I just hate that feeling. Like feeling caged, like you couldn't do anything. Like you had no power over the circumstances around you. And then, did you guys catch this on the news? About three weeks ago, the storm that came through Washington, D.C., and people were stuck on the freeway in the snow, like some for like nearly 24 hours. I don't care who you were. If you were in the car with me and we were stuck for 24 hours, one of us would be dead at the end of those 24 hours. It didn't really matter how much I love you or think of you like, I would just have to do something like just, you know, for fun, just to have something else to do sitting in the car for 24 hours. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you're the kind of person that none of that would ever bother you. Like I was stuck on 69 freeway last month for two and a half hours. A power line had fallen down across the highway and we were just sitting there for two and a half hours and it about drove me crazy because I hate the feeling of being stuck. I love forward movement. I like getting things done, feeling like things are happening. Like I will go, I will drive 
a longer distance to get to a place if I don't have to stop. Like, I don't like when I'm driving, if someone's in front of me, like, I don't like to be stuck. And those are little things. And there are much bigger ways that people feel stuck. I mean, have you, have you ever been in a relationship and it feels like that relationship is stuck? Like you don't know what's going to happen or how to get out of it, how to maneuver it. Like we've been in the same place. And and one way of being stuck is that the relationship kind of keeps on going and moving forward, but it has these patterns that repeat over and over again. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, like, are we here again? We've been having the same conversation over and over. You ever felt stuck in a job? Like, gosh, man, I got it. I need this job. I need this paycheck, but I don't like what I do. I don't like the people that I have to work with. I don't like what we produce. Or maybe even worse than that, you have felt stuck without a job. And you're just at the place where you'll take anything. Like all of life just comes to a grinding halt and you feel forgotten. And not just by other people, friends and family members who have to keep going on with their lives and have to produce and have their own concerns, but you feel forgotten by God because you're still in the same place. Well, Ecclesia, for the last four weeks, we've been talking about the story of this character from Genesis named Joseph. And what's fascinating about Joseph is that he is so very much like us. And all of those experiences that we have, Joseph has. And we forget this because there's some historical distance. And whenever there's historical distance, we always think the circumstance that I find myself in, where I am right now, that's unlike anything else that anyone has ever had to experience before in their life. And that's just not true. Like if you were to meet someone, like if you were able to time travel and meet someone from 1929 and say to them, man, man, it's been, it's been a rough couple of years. Like we had this pandemic, they would look at you and go, yeah, us too. And you would say, man, there's, there's all this fake news where half the people don't believe in half the news. And they would go, wow, that's crazy. Because you know, there are people in the North who think the Dust Bowl is a hoax that the media has created. And you would say, man, these are crazy political times. And they would look at you and say, hey, I read something the other day about this group in Germany. I think they're calling themselves the Nazis. We both have those? If I had a dime for every time in the last two years that someone said, we live in unprecedented times, I would not be here this morning. Because we don't live in unprecedented times. 
Our times are very much like times before. We just are very forgetful. And you open up the scriptures and you see a character like Joseph. His life is very much like your life. And so we started when he was 17 and he has these dreams, these dreams of grandeur that he's going to be someone important and his brothers are going to bow down to him and he's going to be raised up. And not only his brothers, he has another dream and his brothers and his parents are going to bow down to him and he's going to be exalted. So, so they don't like that. They don't like the idea that he's got dreams. So they throw him in a pit and they sell him into slavery. He goes from being the favored son of his father to being a slave, but he rises in the house of Potiphar and he becomes the head of all the slaves. He's been up and he's been down, he's up again, but he's also down because it doesn't matter who you are or where you live, what context it is, a slave is a slave is a slave is a slave. And he's accused by Potiphar's wife and he's thrown in jail. And you might not have been in jail, but you've been here before where you had really great dreams. You had a vision of what life was going to be like for you. And now you have to deal with what life is for you. Like this is reality. And it's very easy in those times to feel stuck. And maybe in reality, you are stuck. And this is where Genesis picks up Joseph's story in chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker both offended their Lord. So the cupbearer is basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. He just kind of holds the cup for the king. And the baker, they offended their Lord, the Pharaoh, and it doesn't say what they did or how they did it. Maybe it was a coup d'etat. Maybe the king of Egypt just didn't like dinner that night. Maybe he spilled some wine. I don't know. Pharaoh was angry with his two attendants. And so he put the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard put Joseph in charge of the men and Joseph took care of them as he did the others. They remain there in custody for some time. So here's what's happened. Joseph is in prison. And Genesis doesn't tell us what happens, but something happens where he's not just in prison, but just like he was at Potiphar's house, he's kind of risen through the ranks and he's in charge of the other prisoners. He looks after the other prisoners. But this is a special prison. This is not like a pit. This is, this is kind of like, this is a gentleman's prison. Like, I remember being like in third grade and my mom telling me that some, you know, white collar criminal had been sent to prison, but it was a, she called it a gentleman's prison. And I was like, that sounds pretty awesome, right? Like, <laughs> but it's for people who served high ranking officials. And so it was nonviolent folks, people who were educated, who had a purpose to serve. And so some of you will remember from history, those Nazis, that they would peel off certain Jewish women and men if they had 
an important skill or piece of knowledge that they could use. So in one sense, Joseph has risen through the ranks, but in another sense, he's still a prisoner and he's only there, only risen to this place because he's got a skill that's useful to the running of the house. And so the three of them are there together and it's Joseph's job to look after them. And this is what happens next. One night, while they were in prison, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt had dreams. Each had his own dream and each dream had its own meaning. So in the ancient world, dreams were taken very seriously and dreams had meanings. And so if you could remember your dream, like you would go and you would find someone, usually a professional, to tell that dream to and they would interpret it for you. When Joseph came to check on them the next morning, he saw that both men looked troubled. And he says, why do you both look so dejected today? They say, we've both had dreams and there is no one here in the prison to interpret them. There's no professional dream interpreter. This is the person we would normally go see. And Joseph says, interpretations belong to God, don't they? If you'd like, tell them to me. I mean, that's enough right there. Like you, you could spend a good bit of the next season of your life just thinking about Joseph's words. Interpretations belong to God. Because here's what we do. And it's not always a dream. Sometimes it's an event, something someone says, a happening in the news or in history. And we think interpretation belongs to us or belongs to our friends. We're gonna try to figure out how to read the horoscope or manifest something. And Joseph says interpretations, the actual meaning of the events in your life belong to God. God is the one who creates the meaning in your life and interprets the meaning in your life. Those belong to God. And my temptation, and maybe your temptation, is to try to figure out life all on my own because I'm really smart and really well-read and I know a bunch of smart people who can figure things out, people who have been successful. And maybe if all of that fails, I'll check in with God. And there's this theme that runs through Joseph's story that we hear over and over in Genesis. And it tells us the eternal one was with Joseph. Simply the eternal one was with Joseph. So the cupbearer tells him his dream. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms opened up and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup 
and then placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand, which is like the best, fastest winemaking process ever. And Joseph says, this is what your dream means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. You will place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But I ask one thing, Joseph says, remember me when things are going well for you. If you have the opportunity, do me a favor and mention me to Pharaoh. Perhaps he will get me out of this place. You see, I was stolen from the land of my people, the Hebrews, and I have done nothing to deserve being thrown into this pit. I've done nothing. And this is where I am. And here's what you need to know. It is a reality that sometimes in your life, you will find yourself in a very dark place. And you will have done nothing to get there. Now, I'm one of the first people who will tell you that life consists a whole lot of the choices that we make, but we do not have sovereignty over the world. And even in making the best choices, you can find yourself in a place not of your own making. And sometimes those are good. And sometimes they're not. And so Joseph says, just remember me. I don't want to be in this place. And so then the next thing that happens is the baker tells Joseph his story. And Joseph says, well, he's not going to lift your, he's going to lift your head up, but it's going to be a whole different thing. And this is how the story concludes on the third day which also happened to be Pharaoh's birthday, he prepared a huge feast for all his servants. As they were gathered together, he lifted up the head of the cupbearer and restored him to his former office. That day, the cupbearer resumed placing the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but Pharaoh lifted off the head of the chief baker and impaled him on a tree for the birds, just as Joseph had interpreted. Sadly, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph at this time. Instead, he forgot all about him. Now Genesis goes on to make a point. Because it's not just that what Joseph hoped would happen, that there would be an event and he would be remembered. Genesis wants you to know that he was forgotten. totally forgotten. He's stuck. There's nothing he can do. No way to get out. Just stuck. So here's a question. What do we do when we're stuck? 
What do you do? When you're powerless to change your situation, when all of the powers have conspired to put you in this place and keep you in this place. Because if you're like me, you really would want to kill the person in the car with you. You want to do something. So what do you do? In October of last year, um, I met a remarkable man named Anthony Ray Hinton. This is a picture of Anthony Ray Hinton. In 1995, Anthony Ray Hinton was arrested for double murder. The cops arrested him because they suspected him of robbing a store in Bessemer, Alabama, even though at the time of the robbery, he was working in a locked warehouse 16 miles away. And they went to his house and they found his mother's revolver and with no forensic evidence, with no proof, they linked his mother's revolver to the gun that committed these two murders. His defense attorney said they didn't have enough money to hire a firearms expert, so they had a half-blind civil engineer testify on his account in his first trial. Anthony Ray Hinton spent 30 years on death row in Alabama. Even after it was proven that the gun that was used in the murder couldn't possibly be the gun that they discovered at his mother's house, he spent 12 more years in prison because the state of Alabama refused a retrial. And some, some of you who have read Brian Stevens' book, Just Mercy would remember Anthony Ray Hinton's story. And so in October, I got to interview him at a conference. And the first question I asked as he sat across from me was the first question that made the most sense, which was, who is a better interviewer, me or Oprah? (laughs) And of course he said me. But in the course of our conversation, I asked him, saying, you were in jail for 30 years for something you didn't do. 12 of those years, the state of Alabama knew that you didn't do it. The cops who arrested you knew you didn't do it. The prosecutors who prosecuted you knew you didn't do it. How do you live with something like that? He said, well, a couple of things. He said, the first thing is like, I never lost my sense of humor, which is true because he truly is absolutely hilarious. So the second thing is, 
I remembered what my mother told me, that no matter what happens, God was with me. How do you endure times when you are powerless and stuck? You remember that God is with you. And that's why this interpreter of dreams, whose dream interpretation freed the cupbearer, and the cupbearer immediately forgets him. That's why his story is not over because the first sentence of chapter 41 is this. Two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. I want to release you from the expectation that life is comfortable or that you should be comfortable because life is hard. And for many of us, it can be very, very hard. And the way we endure it is trusting in the promise that the eternal one is with you. I love the way that Jonathan Sachs talks about the story of Joseph up to this point. This is what he says. He says, the Joseph story is written to be read at two levels. On the surface, it is a story about human beings and their relationships. It is not a happy story. Brothers are prepared to sell their own flesh and blood into slavery. The chief steward released from prison immediately forgets his fellow prisoner failing to intercede on his behalf. People betray people. Dreams are mere dreams. Hopes are destined to be dashed on the rocks of reality. We are at best co-authors of our lives. Not realizing it at the time, the very act the brothers did to prevent Joseph's dream coming true was the first step in their coming true. As for Joseph, unbeknownst to him, his life was part of a larger story revealed by God to Abraham generations earlier when he told him that his children would suffer slavery in the land, not their own. Sometimes we too catch a glimpse of the workings of fate in our lives, many times. I have had prayers answered, but never when expected, nor in the way I imagined. In many cases, the answer came after I had given up hope. Providence exists. In Shakespeare's words, there's divinity that shapes our ends, rough hew them how we will. But there is a pause, an intervention, a break in the sequence of cause and effect which says things do not happen merely because we wish them, but because they are a part of the larger scheme of things. What Joseph discovered in the hiatus between the two paragraphs is that in addition to initiative and enterprise, we also need patience, humility, and trust. If our prayers are legitimate, God will answer them, but not necessarily when or how we think he will. That is the meaning of at the end of two full years. 
We must do our part. God will do his. Between them, there is a gap, not just in time, but in consciousness. We learn that we are not sole masters of our fate. Sometimes it is only after many years that looking back, we see the pattern of our lives and understand how providence has shaped our destiny. This is the space we make in our minds for the things not under our control. The name of that space is faith. For the things not under your control, there is a name. And that name is faith. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.